So this is a brief consideration of a concept of knowing as an absolute source versus thinking as a body source. And knowing would be something we all have if it's absolute. It's not something any of us can be exceptional. It can't be exceptional to any of us because we can't be exceptional to it. It would be inclusive of us, not something somewhere else, not in heaven or in hell or in some other place. It would be here now, where we are always. And it isn't a miracle that it's here. It's just always wherever we are because it's everywhere. It is everything and everywhere. It's not, and, and where nowhere would be, what we would consider nowhere at this point, things we can't even imagine. That present would always be present. It's not dealing in a spatial, time-bound realm. So we call that spirit and God and um, all sorts of things have been used to define that. The great void, nothingness, uh, whatever it is, it is. And rather than argue over the terms of it, I would suggest that it still must be doing what it's always been doing despite our arguments. And if that's been the case, it suggests that thinking isn't it, but thinking is a product of it. Thinking is something that is subsequent to that knowing nature. Thinking is something that is a byproduct of that knowing nature. And so the natural order of things is that we know because we are. And if you're listening to this, be pretty easy to admit you are sufficiently to have ears and a body to listen. And if you're interacting with this, you're clearly admitting that you have a brain and thoughts and a sense of knowing. And it may also become clear that as you consider some of these things, you've got a knee-jerk reaction and a sense of what's preposterous and a sense of, well, that can't be true and it can't apply to me and that's ridiculous and how does this make any sense and why is this practical and why would I bother even listening? When all of those witnesses are basically, if not inevitably and wholly, simply thoughts that you maintain, that are untrue, fighting for their own existence. And there is no fight in knowing, no fight in knowing at all. There is no fight in love. There is no proof in love. There is no witness in love. It's just ever-present. And that's what an absolute source is. That's what that knowing would be, is not thought, but knowing. Thought is something bodies do to navigate a relative experience. And a relative experience is navigating an environment filled with what appear to be bits and pieces until you begin to look at all of those bits and pieces as part of a whole and begin to see that all those bits and pieces are doing exactly what all the other bits and pieces are doing, which is to be constantly changing. And if you think about your thinking, you'll see that that's basically, if not inevitably, what thinking does. It just changes all the time. It's constantly, when it comes to a conclusion, it's constantly presented with new evidence. And that conclusion becomes challenged by the evidence because now you know more in thought and your thinking awareness begins to go off in a new venture to come to a new conclusion that then leads to another opening and another conclusion and another conclusion and another attempt to settle things. Now, if you think, like I did for so long, that thinking was my source that process of change, that never-ending, trying to get there and never-ending up where you're trying to go because it always starts over, feels incredibly disturbing. 
And that disturbance started for me when I was very young. And it led to a point when I was 14, when I had my first drink, I thought I'd found relief. I thought I'd found satisfaction because I'd numb myself to that thing. It didn't push it away. It didn't change it. It changed my experience of it. And to allow something to continue, and I would say that thinking is diseased because it's not at ease. Knowing's at ease because it's the source of peace, because it doesn't conflict with itself. It doesn't argue with itself. And that's our knowing state. This thinking state is how we utilize thought and use our thinking. And when we are abnormal in our use of thinking, meaning we're thinking out of order, thinking thinking is our primary source, we create disorders. And we know that because we suffer. And that again shows that the absolute is part of our knowing awareness. To begin to consider that all of our anxiety and stress and reactions and fights and inner conflict are based on a simple misapplication of using thought is to see that an abnormal use of thought is abuse. And when I'm attached to the idea that when I was a kid, I was abused and think that the problems I have today are the problems that happened then, and that problem hasn't happened for 20-some years, I am the self-abuse causing that, not somebody else, not somewhere else, not some other time. It's the thoughts I'm having now, because I would suggest to you, and if you're listening to some of the other concepts, you'll hear this again and again, that the present is always present, and we're always in the present. And to be in the present and think we're not in the present doesn't mean we're not in the present. It means we're thinking we're not in the present. And thinking we're not in the present does not make the present go away. So the gift of the present is always present. Well, we can think that we're losers and we're the odd person out and we're the strange exception to reality and truth, and just roaming the planet trying to figure out who we are. When in fact, we know exactly who we are. We have no doubt about it. So much so that when we have doubt, it's an indication that we know better. And it's an indication that we have a greater sense of knowing than the thinking's awareness. So knowing awareness and thought awareness are very different things, and yet they're the same thing. And I only distinguish them so that you can begin to consider from your own point of view, literally that point that you view things from, how you are interacting with your utilization and your use of thought. And I would suggest to you, knowing that wherever you are listening, you are there, intact, 100%, able-bodied. To whatever degree you are able, you are able 100% right now. And to whatever degree you are disabled, your knowing awareness does not change. You are not less than, you are not capable of less than, but you are capable of thinking you are less than and thinking you are capable of less than. And the difference between a knowing awareness, knowing awareness is at perfect ease because it is peace. It is silent. It is quiet. It is still. It is ever present. It isn't a function of space and time. It does not come or go. It is not more or less based on what we think. 
but we can think it's more or less and then wonder why our thinking just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning because it's trying like trying to start a car with no gas. The starter's just trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. And it's not saying to itself because it's not a thinking object. It's an inanimate object that has a purpose. It's not thinking to itself, why isn't the car starting? It's thinking, I'm being asked to start the car and I'm going to do just that. That's exactly the way we use our, our brains. If we're out of gas, if we're feeding it food for thought that has no nourishing components to it, there's no substance to it, we're asking thoughts to just spin and 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 and try to come to a conclusion that makes sense when there's no sense to be made of it because there's nothing to be made of it other than nonsense. And nonsense, by the way, is no sense. So we act whenever we're out of order in ways that immediately have consequences that we feel and we witness. And I want to give you credit for the depression and the inner conflict and anxiety and stress and all the struggles you have as being perfect evidence that you know better. Because if that was your nature, if those things were your nature, if those depressing experiences were your nature, that would be a high point to experience them. You would feel fulfilled. You would feel more than rather than less than. You would feel esteemed rather than less esteem. You would feel value rather than low self-worth. So that's some evidence that our nature is much different than what we think about when we're relying on thought and then trying to justify and rationalize the thought as being our nature when in fact it's unnatural to be using it as our primary nature. And this is very simple. Another beautiful aspect of this, while we've been thinking thought is our source, any of us, our source has always been our source. It doesn't need belief and it doesn't need faith and it doesn't need hope. It doesn't need anything from my thinking, anything, nothing. I'm free. And it still gives everything that it has and is always where I am and always, not a coincidence, when I'm willing to notice and look I always seem to find it. Why? Because it never leaves. It has no place to go. It's not a place-bound thing. It's not a time-bound thing. It's just an ever-presence. And if that's our source, we don't have to give it a name. We don't have to fight over who we think it is and what that thing is. Most of the gods we've created, if you think about the gods we've created, they all seem to have very human characteristics. We call them by gender. It's a he. He hasn't answered my prayers. Why would an infinite source have any prayer to answer if, in fact, we've been given everything the entire time? That's all just a hallucination, a fascination, a mirage of thought creating ideas that reflect what I'm unwilling to admit I'm doing so that I can blame what I consider to be the ultimate source, God, is the responsible party. God hasn't given me this. God gave me this. God isn't answering my prayers. If an infinite source is infinite, I've already got everything and I've always had everything I need. The question is, why am I abusing what I have? Why am I making decisions that run counter to that fullness, to that richness, to that abundance? Why do I do that? Well, I'd suggest it's a sickness. And it's a mental problem to make believe that thinking is our source. It's the body's source to function, yes. 
But even bodies that are in comas continue to function, so the body has a knowing source beyond thought that seems to allow it to continue to function, and sometimes, many cases, for decades, without a thinker, without something choosing it. But that body obviously isn't taking actions. It isn't choosing to act. It isn't choosing to be productive. It isn't choosing to interact. It's simply existing. And that existence is some evidence is a, there's a knowing nature because for a body to exist includes trillions of interactive possibilities that are happening every minute or more. So the numbing nature of addiction is the idea that if I can pretend something's not happening and then get better at pretending it's not happening and I go numb to it, and this is exactly what happens with any kind of drug use or compulsion. I'm trying to distract my attention into something that gives me immediate relief or something that's given me long-term pain. And I think that the problem is not doing it enough so what I need to do in that compulsion or addictive action is more and more and more and more and more of the same, that the solution is actually ignoring what's going on for a longer period of time by preoccupying myself with the instantaneous gratification of the immediate and think that that's the winning formula while in fact my body is still suffering all of the components and they're actually growing and getting worse, just as my body would be if I pretended my leg was cut off and it was bleeding and if I didn't pay any attention to it and didn't look at it, that it would get better. Sickness feeds sickness when we rely on it. Disease feeds disease when we rely on it. And being uneasy about what we're doing and then double down on the disease or the uneasiness is to ask for more of it. It isn't because it is God-given or God-insisted. It isn't some power that hates us. It's a self that we have inflicted with ideas of who we are based on who we think rather than start to see that who we are is not who we think we are. Who we are is who we know we are. And thinking is subsequent to that. Thinking following the leader in that regard knows exactly where to go, which is what intuition is. Intuition is knowledge beyond reason. It takes no reason to know at all. And if knowledge beyond reason is knowledge, then it suggests that knowledge is not reasonable and is not logical and should be preposterous to what we think is knowledge within reason and knowledge that is logical. So while this may sound impractical in those terms from a thinking standpoint, because this isn't a new salve to point to how you can continue to maintain the problem while thinking you're not, this is about being able to witness actually what you're doing and let it fall apart and see that your normal nature will absolutely guide you in ways that you've never thought possible because all you've been relying on is thought for possibility. And thought's possibility is always limited when it isn't acknowledging that it is born of, sourced in, an absolute knowing awareness. This circumvention that we do in thinking sets thinking off on a pattern of thinking about itself. And now all we have is a pool of resources, the limited thoughts that we've originally based the thought we're chasing it with. And all of a sudden, we're just running in a vicious circle, wondering why things feel vicious and wondering why we start acting in ways that are vicious and wondering why vicious actions seem to make more sense. And oh, well, that's just the way of the world. It is not the way of the world. It is the way of choices we make that are sick. So the distinction between knowing and thinking is that there is ultimately no distinction. 
But to begin to think of it as something distinct is to begin to see how we think thinking has been knowing all along while denying that knowing is in fact an awareness that we absolutely have right now where you are listening, you have it. And that knowing awareness becomes more obvious when we simply begin to allow our thinking to consider it. Because the thinking we're doing starts to relax a little bit when it's thinking about something we know because it no longer has to think about it. Because our knowing awareness begins to grow and become more evident. And this is not a secret. It is not hidden. It's in perfectly plain view if we're willing to look at it accurately and face facts as those facts occur in our day. And all of us are perfectly capable to talk about this as able as we are able to talk about it. And in talking about it, our discussions are a chance to see through several viewpoints that the essence of the discussion can take on different ideas and different thoughts and different words and different experiences and different histories and still meet in the discussion, in a present moment, collectively, even though it's only three people in our discussions. It's enough to create a three-dimensional audio view of your own experience and place you centered to that and have you see that you know exactly what we're talking about. And you may not think you do, and you may want to fight for the thoughts you have, but that fight itself is a revelation of what thought is capable of doing, which is fighting for a life that doesn't even exist. Because ego is just what we think about ourselves. It isn't who we are, it's what we think. If who we are is based in an infinite source, then we are much greater than thinking can ever allow until we start thinking who we are is in an, based in an infinite source. And that gives us great capacity and becomes great reality for us. And we become full of that greatness in terms of our expression, not just in terms of big grandiose thoughts trying to prove that our thinking is right. And prideful actions that try to say, look at me, I've, I'm doing this, when it's all it's doing is feeding appearance and not substance. It's overlooking a lack of substance that feels empty in the name of having appearance take its place. And what's beautiful about substance is it has no appearance. We can't see this mind, but we know it. And we know we know it as we're experiencing it. We know it because there's an ease that comes with it. And there's a sense of place that comes with it. And there's a sense of wonder and awe that comes with it and a sense of adventure and a sense of opportunity and a sense of possibility and a sense of growth because we're starting to grow beyond the limited horizons of thoughts that have never had any limits at all except the ones we impose on them and fight for and make believe are true and real within our own thinking. 